0: Well, today we are beginning a series that's going to last through uh, probably close to the end of April, where we are going to look at the things uh, that Jesus said uh, in the Gospel of John. Now, we're not going to be covering everything that Jesus said in the Gospel of John. I mean, for example, next week we'll be in chapter 3, and you could literally spend weeks just in chapter 3. So, we're not going to be covering everything that he said. Uh, And we're not going to be looking at each chapter in John, but we will be covering quite a bit of the stuff that Jesus said uh, in John's gospel over these next several weeks, these next few months. And we're simply calling the series Jesus Speaks. And I feel like I need to start this series with a little bit of an explanation, a little bit of a disclaimer, perhaps. Uh, so that we can try to avoid any misunderstanding uh, among us. You see, in recent years, uh, something has happened that I believe is a pretty unfortunate thing, and it's something that has gained more traction among Christians than I think it should have, and that is that some have attempted, and they've actually been rather successful at this, uh, that they have tried to pit the words of Jesus against the rest of the Bible, and especially against the writings of the Apostle Paul. And so what they have essentially said is that there is conflict between Jesus and the rest of the Bible. There is conflict between Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And they have essentially said that the words of Jesus trump everything else uh, in the Bible. Now, I have always found this To be a curious argument. I've always found it to be very odd that this has gained so much traction for a variety of reasons. Two that I'll mention here today. The first one is that the words of Jesus do not contradict the rest of the Bible. If we think that they contradict the rest of the Bible, then we have more studying to do. We have not fully understood all that we need to understand. The words of Jesus do not contradict the rest of the Bible. The second reason that I uh, feel we need to reject this, uh, and it's something that is just so perplexing to me, is that we only know the words of Jesus from the witness of these men who wrote the Gospels. And so it has always struck me as odd that we are willing to trust that they represented the words of Jesus accurately but we're not willing to trust that the Holy Spirit guided them to write the rest of what they wrote uh, the way that the Holy Spirit wanted them to. So if we can trust that the Holy Spirit moved on the biblical writers to record Jesus' words accurately, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit also moved upon these writers to write everything else that they did in accordance with the will of God. So I just want to say here at the outset that Uh, Here at Vineyard Pataskala, we reject this notion of uh, pitting the words of Jesus against the rest of the Bible or against the Apostle Paul. We reject that the words of Jesus alone are the words of God in the Bible. We believe that the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation is the word of God to us and we accept it as such. Now with that being acknowledged, we absolutely do embrace that the words of Jesus are vitally important. Jesus was and is, as we've talked about throughout the Christmas season, Jesus was and is God. So while we believe that his words are consistent with the entire Bible, and we believe that the Bible in its entirety is the word of God, we absolutely do think that it makes sense to sit up and pay attention when you come to the words of Jesus, which is uh, in many of your Bibles, the words of Jesus are represented in red letters. And so that's what we're doing throughout this series. We're giving special attention to the words actually spoken by Jesus during the time that he physically walked the earth. So we're beginning today in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Within this section, there are two uh, quotes from Jesus in verse 16 and verse 19. So here's what we find in these verses. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken Now, before we look more closely at the words of Jesus and what they mean, uh, I want to point out a a couple things that I think are worth mentioning about this text. First of all, I think it is worth noting that the image of Jesus, meek and mild, that has been, in my view, wildly exaggerated, both in our culture uh, and in the church, uh, is a bit off. It is a bit misguided. You see, many in the day and time that we live have tried to reduce the central message of the Bible to something like this. Be nice and don't ever upset anyone. Be nice and don't upset people. Now, being nice is a great thing. I am all for being nice. And none of us should ever set out to purposely upset someone But can I tell you here today that be nice and don't ever upset anyone is not the central message of the Bible. It's just not. Jesus himself was willing to upset folks at times. And occasionally, Jesus even responded to people in a way that though there was nothing unkind about it, the people on the receiving end probably would have said, Oh, Jesus, you're not being very nice to us. The culture we live in, which is a culture where everyone gets a trophy, and it's a culture where uh, very few of us can stand to hear anything but constant affirmation of our awesomeness. This culture has domesticated Jesus and and the Bible into something he isn't and it isn't. You see, love is a higher biblical value than nice. Love of God is a higher biblical value than nice. And sometimes love causes a ruckus. Sometimes love results in some righteous anger. Sometimes love turns over some tables. The second misguided notion I think is worth mentioning uh, today is that it is now accepted within the church, almost universally accepted as gospel fact that Christians need to simply confine ourselves to spiritual matters. That that we need to just stay out of larger issues within the culture. That, That we need to not concern ourselves with politics and culture, but just tidally confine ourselves to the realm of the spiritual. Now here's something that you need to understand about what we've read here today. The temple was the spiritual center of the Jewish nation. But it was also the political center of the Jewish people. And it was the cultural center of the Jewish people. Jesus was causing a disruption on all levels. Spiritual, political, cultural. You see, the Bible, Jesus, truth touch on all areas of life, the spiritual, the political, the cultural, the economic. There is simply no area of human existence over which God does not claim to be Lord. And so it's my hope that that this church, and, and I hope more churches in the, in the future, would stop acting as though we are being super spiritual when we yield the culture in every area of life except the overtly spiritual to the forces of darkness. Now, something we need to keep in mind is that it was Jesus taking on the political powers. Jesus taking on the cultural powers. Jesus taking on the religious powers. And we need to keep in mind that that is much different than our doing so because we are not Jesus. And we tend to be much less consistent in doing those things in a way that pleases God. And so we need to be very careful. We need to be very thoughtful uh, we, we need to be very cautious in how we approach such things and how we weigh in on such things. But yielding everything except the overtly spiritual, friends, is not a particularly biblical thing to do, no matter how many people try to convince us that it is. So, uh, with those two things that I thought were worth, mention, worth mentioning, let's uh, move on uh, to what is the real emphasis of our text today. The setting of Jesus, two quotes... Uh, from the scriptures that we read, is the temple. Jesus spoke the words that we've read today from, at, at the temple, the center of worship for the Jewish people. In verses 13 and 14 give us some important info about what led to the actions that Jesus took that we've read about. Here's what those verses say. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So the deal was at that time that every adult male within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem was required by law to come to this holy festival, Passover, and make a sacrifice and worship the Lord. In addition to that, thousands of Jews that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire chose to make this pilgrimage, and they chose to do so at great personal cost to themselves. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they needed to make a sacrifice. They they needed to secure a dove or a a sheep or an ox to make a sacrifice. And so conveniently set up right at the temple was a business operation to sell them the things that they needed. And it was managed by uh, and controlled by the high priest himself. So here are all the, the services that were going on within the temple. Taxes were being collected. And those could not just be paid with Gentile coins, which was considered unclean. It had to be uh, converted into a clean currency, and there was a charge for doing that. So these services were going on. Then there were sheep and ox and doves that were being sold for sacrifice, these sheep, oxen, doves that were sold were, were raised by the temple. They were part of the temple herds and for the purpose of engaging in this business enterprise. And scholars tell us that, uh, that the temple herds were often horribly overpriced. And so here's the picture that I want you to have in your mind. Just imagine all of this going on in the temple. Taxes being collected, money being exchanged, fees for that uh, being exchanged, and then especially try to envision the ox, the sheep, and the doves literally everywhere. It is a chaotic picture. It is a noisy picture. It is, I guess you can't smell pictures, but it's a smelly picture. Imagine how loud and chaotic all of that was. And it was not confined to the area outside the temple. It had actually been brought into the outer courts of the temple itself, which is the area of the temple where the Gentiles who had converted to Judaism worshipped. If you can imagine that, it, it really, you'd appreciate it as looking sort of like a carnival atmosphere. Sort of like a fair You know, that's that's what it had been turned into. The temple had been turned into a business operation that looked very much like a carnival-type atmosphere. This is what Jesus saw at the temple. And our text makes it obvious that Jesus was very displeased by what he saw. And so verse 15 says, So he made a whip out of cords, and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, in researching this message this week, I found some Bible commentators who who tried to suggest that that this wasn't near as severe as what it sounds like. Uh, Some of them tried to suggest that Jesus didn't really use the whip. He just kind of flailed it around, threatened to use it. Some, I'm exaggerating, but they almost went so far as to say that he made the whip out of feathers so as not to hurt anybody. Uh, but, but I think you can dismiss all of that. He made a whip out of cords and he drove the sheep and the cattle from the temple. I think that means everything you think it means. Not only did he do that, but he scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. Jesus, meek, mild, always tells everybody they're, they're great little boys and girls. Jesus witnesses all this activity, all this noisy distraction going on in the temple, all of this commerce happening, and he puts an end to it. He drives all from the temple area. And that leads us to our first quote. In verse 16, Jesus speaks. We're told that to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And just for the record, he did not say it in the tone that I just did, okay? I'm just not a very good actor. So uh, raising my voice to properly represent what Jesus did is not in my uh, repertoire. So uh, there you go. Uh, but Jesus was passionate here. Jesus was not happy. I believe Jesus was, was loud when he said this. Here's what Jesus is doing. He is speaking on the purpose of the temple. The purpose of the temple was the worship of God. It was the place where God's people assembled to worship him. But here's what had happened. In the service of furthering the worship of God, quote unquote, the temple had essentially been turned into a marketplace, a place of business. In the name of worshiping God, it had been turned into a business enterprise. Those coming to make their Passover sacrifice needed to buy a dove or a sheep for sacrifice. And so the temple was conveniently set up to offer the worshipers everything that they needed in order to worship God. Many scholars, as I mentioned a minute ago, suggest that prices were inflated. And that those who had made this pilgrimage were taken advantage of by this temple business enterprise. So not only was the temple essentially made into a marketplace, but it was a marketplace with unfair business practices. Now, something that we need to understand here, there is no suggestion, at least I don't think so, that someone selling a dove or a sheep to someone else who had traveled to Jerusalem to sacrifice was wrong. Jesus isn't against commerce. He isn't against the free exchange of goods and services. I mean, people were commanded to sacrifice and they needed to get a sacrifice from somewhere. That was not the problem. The problem was that it was being done in the temple because that was not the purpose of the temple. The purpose of the temple was the worship of God. But it had become a marketplace. It was no longer deriving its character from him to whom it was dedicated, but from the business that was being carried on within it. When Jesus spoke to those who sold doves and said, get these out of here, how dare you turn my father's house into a market, what he was saying is that the worship of God must always be of central importance in the temple, and it cannot be made secondary to anything else. The temple was for worship, but worship had been relegated to secondary importance in the place of what was supposed to be of primary importance, and Jesus simply would not stand for that. He was not putting up with that. So verse 16 is Jesus speaking on the purpose of the temple. The purpose of the temple is the worship of God must always remain, uh, that must always remain primary and cannot become secondary. The worship of God in the house of God can never be secondary uh, in importance. And then verse 17 says, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house.'" will consume me. This is, this is a prophetic witness of what the Messiah would be like. Zeal for uh, the house of God would consume him. That's a reference to Psalm 69.9. Jesus cares. God cares that the worship of God remained the central concern in the house of God. And that's something that we need to pay attention to. Then after speaking about the purpose of the temple... Jesus speaks on the presence of God. And he set up for this next uh, this next declaration when the Jews, in response to him having cleared out the temple, demand a sign from him to prove that he had the authority to do what he had just done. And when they made this demand, Jesus answered with an answer that caused a whole lot of confusion even among his own followers. And it made a whole lot of people really unhappy with him. He said in verse 19, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Well, they were just incredulous at this answer. Verse 20 tells us how they replied. They said, it has taken us 46 years to build this. And you're going to raise it in three days. Of course, they didn't understand what he was saying. Verse 21 tells us what Jesus meant. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now, now there's a lot of kind of heavy lifting we could go into right here. But but here's essentially what was going on. In Judaism, the the temple was the location of God's presence on earth. It, It was where the Ark of the Covenant was housed, within the Holy of Holies. It was the place of God's presence on earth. When Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days, what he was saying, even though his own followers didn't understand it yet, is that he now represents the presence of God on earth. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So the presence of God had always been in the temple. But now Jesus is the presence of God. A change to the order of things had occurred. The presence of God that had at one time been housed in the temple is now present in Jesus. So when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days, he was saying that he was the temple of God. So there's a progression here. The presence of God in the temple Now Jesus, the presence of God. And then later in the book of John and throughout the New Testament, we find that the progression continues because when Christ returned to the father, he sent the Holy Spirit to his followers. And the the Bible teaches an amazing truth about what the Holy Spirit does. It's found in a variety of places. A couple of those are 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19-20. And here's what those verses say. 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? 6.19-20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Here's what we learn. The Holy Spirit indwells believers and makes each one of us the temple, the house of God. Isn't that amazing? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of God. So here's the progression. In Judaism, the place of God's presence is the temple. Jesus revealed that his body is now the place of God's presence. And then Jesus returns to the Father, the Holy Spirit is given, and we learn that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God in the earth. So Jesus has made two statements in these few verses that we've read. Worship of God must be of central importance in the house of God. And that his body was the dwelling place of God. And then with the giving of the Holy Spirit, we become the dwelling place of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the house of God. So what do we take from all of this. As I mentioned a minute ago, there's a lot of you know, really deep and heavy lifting type stuff we could go into here, but the, the main point of all of this is really quite clear. The worship of God, the worship of Jesus, cannot be of secondary importance in his own house. It must always be the primary concern Of the house of God. And I think that there are uh, at least two important applications uh, of this for us. Here's the first one We can never allow Jesus, the worship of Jesus, the worship of God, to be of secondary importance in our worship services or in our church in general. You know, that sounds like one of those things that goes without saying, but I'm not sure. Uh, that it really does. You see, it's too easy for us to allow things to crowd Jesus out. The problem in the temple was that the business of the temple had replaced the worship of God as the primary thing. May it never be true at Vineyard Christian Church that the business of the church crowds out the primary thing, which is the worship of God in this place. Now, of course, part of what Jesus taught in John 2 is that a building isn't the place where the presence of God is housed. And yet, when we gather together like we are today, when we corporately gather together to worship God, I think there is some application for us here. You see, here at the vineyard, we are pretty laid back. Uh, We really are. We're we're, we're quite laid back. We, We say, hey, come as you are. We say, hey, get some coffee as you come in and pour it all over the carpet. That'll that'll be that'll be fine with us. You know, we're we're just kind of laid back about things. You know, we we keep Paul Loeffler going full time just scrubbing those coffee stains. (laughs) And and so we're we're pretty laid back here, but let's be clear. The thing that is of primary importance when we gather for worship is not the coffee, it is worship of God. And it needs to always be that way. Let us never allow the worship of God to take a backseat to anything else, even good things like visiting with our friends and drinking coffee. We worship primarily three ways on Sunday mornings. We worship through singing praises to God. We worship through giving. And we worship through the public reading and teaching of the word of God. Let's make sure that we give our all in each of those three areas of worship every time that we come together. And not just on Sundays, but in all of our ministries, in all of our activities, let's make sure that the motivating consideration, the highest priority to everything we do is worshiping, glorifying God. The worship of God must always be the central concern of Vineyard Christian Church. It can never become a secondary thing. And here's the second application I am and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives in you, you've been bought with a price. And here's what this means. Your purpose is the same as the temple's purpose that Jesus cleansed that day. Your purpose is the worship of God. You can never, I can never allow Jesus to become of secondary importance in our individual lives in our individual temples of the Holy Spirit. What must be primary, what must be of central importance for those of us indwelled by the Spirit of God is that our lives worship God. If that is not central to us, then Jesus is speaking to us from John chapter 2. And I think you know today if Jesus is speaking to you. We gather together to worship on Sundays, yes, but singing praises to God, giving offerings, exalting the word of God, these are not the only ways that we worship God. Friends, our entire lives, everything we do is meant to worship and glorify God. We're to worship God in the way that we serve. We're to worship God in our parenting We are to worship God in our business dealings and in our employment. We are to worship God in our marriages. We are to worship God in how we approach our education. We are to worship God even in things like how we resolve conflict. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The worship of God must be the central focus of our lives It must be the primary concern in everything that we do in every area of life. So a question for you. Is worshiping God the central concern of your life, Christian indwelled by the Holy Spirit? Temple of the Holy Spirit is the worship of God your primary concern. Or, like the worship of God had become of secondary importance to conducting the business of the temple? Is the worship of God a secondary consideration in your life? Or, worse yet, is it no consideration at all? If either of those things are true, then Jesus is speaking to us. Jesus is speaking to you in John 2. And here's what he's saying, if any of those things are true about you, he is saying to you, I want my temple back. He demands that worship be the central priority of his temple. And you are his temple. Friends, we're starting a new year. Today, this first Sunday of 2015, It's a time of new beginnings. It's a time of fresh starts. And so here is one of my prayers for each and every one of us today, that we would commit that this year, we are going to make the central priority of our lives, every aspect of our lives, the worship of God. That's my prayer for us. In fact, I have a a thought that came to me this week that I wanted to share with you. I I think that this, making, making the worship of Jesus the central priority of our lives, I think it might actually be the key to finally keeping all the New Year's resolutions that we normally break by about tomorrow, if you've even lasted this long. I think it might be the key. You see, when we embrace, really embrace the truth that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then everything we do becomes the worship of God. Everything we do is motivated by that reality that I need to worship God in this, including things like taking care of our bodies, which is one of the primary New Year's resolutions people make, Handling our money, which is another big New Year's resolution that people make. If we see these things as part of our worship of God, we might finally be motivated to truly stick with some of our New Year's resolutions. So as we begin this new year, let's purpose today that worshiping God in every aspect of our lives is going to be the central concern of our lives, the primary concern, And let's allow the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit to motivate us to glorify God in every area of life. May this be true for each one of us here today. Why don't you stand?